The following message is presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Now the message. My name is Connor Sherlin. I'm the BCM director at Nichols. Um, it's something I hope I never get tired of saying that we appreciate this church uh, because y'all help us to reach college students over there in Thibodeau. Um, in fact, we just had some great folks bring some food out this Thursday to feed students. I see a few of them here. Uh, they did a great job. Um, and, and just two quick stories from that meal. They, of course, sacrificed time. They sacrificed money. They sacrificed everything to drive all the way over there um, and serve students. Uh, but two quick stories. We had one uh, faculty member come into the BCM. He'd never been in the BCM before. He said somebody had hung up a, a free lunch sticker outside his door. Um, and so he decided, hey, I want to I go check that out. It's free food. Um, and he sat with us, and he ended up staying uh, for over an hour, just sitting with us, talking with students. He talked with me about faith for a long time. Uh, and, you know, he never would have come by had it not been for this church sending folks to feed him. Uh, so we appreciate you guys. Another good story was we've had a young man who's, who's been in and out of our ministry for the last two years. Um, he, he comes from a, a rougher background, unfortunately, um, and he has gotten involved with some folks that I wish he wouldn't have. And so we kind of lost him. Uh, he, he got involved with a fraternity and started making some decisions that weren't so great. Um, and he, he wouldn't come to a Bible study. And I've, I've reached out to him. We've asked him. He just won't do it. But you know what? He showed up for the free food on Thursday. Uh, that had the hook that got him. He came in and sat down. And as a result of him being there, he then met the next day with one of our staff members um, who talked through some heart issues with him. And, and God willing, we'll continue to see him a little bit more. Um, as the Lord works on him. The thing is, is we couldn't do any of that without you folks um, being willing to sacrificially serve us that food. Um, so we gratefully appreciate you guys. Um, and, and no matter who your pastor is, I'm looking forward to many, many more years of partnership together as we strive to reach all the students that are there at Nichols um, so that God may be glorified on that campus and then all throughout the lands as they return back to the places where they come from. Uh, so thank you. I hope every time I speak to you guys, you hear the words, thank you, come out of my mouth. Um, and, and now that you're hiring a pastor, it, it may go back to that two out of nine years. But hey, maybe he can take a vacation or two and still bring me in, right? That's okay. We'll see. Uh, but listen, today I want to talk to you all about a good topic. Hopefully what you think is a good topic. Um, we've started something uh, new this semester at the BCM. Um, and, and again, if you've never met me or you've never heard me speak before, I apologize at the start. Um, I am not a pastor. I'm a BCM director, so I get to have a little bit of liberty in what I do. Um, and, and I get to tax and exercise you guys in different ways. I spoke uh, two weeks ago um, at a little tiny church way down in Point Shan. Has anybody ever been there, by the way? That is nearly the end of Louisiana. Uh, You're at the Gulf when you're there, man. That was a unique experience. When I walked in, they were all speaking French, and I thought, I'm in the wrong place. Uh, But they were very, very sweet to me. And I told them at the beginning, and it was a smaller congregation, I told them at the beginning, my goal today, my metric of success, I always keep at the BCM, is if I'm able to keep 75% of you awake. And they thought that was funny. I failed that day, by the way, to, to keep 75% of them awake. So now I'm going to try to repeat that again with you guys. My goal for you today is to keep 75% of you awake and hopefully impart some spiritual knowledge to you. But what we've started at the BCM is we had the students at the beginning of the semester write down a series of questions. 
They wrote down things they were thinking about, questions about faith, questions about Scripture, anything that's on their mind, and they submitted them to us. And then what we did was we then took the rest of the semester to divvy up some of these questions and answer them uh, through our weekly worship on Thursday nights. And there was one in particular question that we've already handled this semester that I just I thought was very interesting. And so I want to come back and repeat that to you guys. This question the student asked was, how can your conscience be repaired if you are no longer sensitive to it? First off, I was impressed. It's a good question for a college student to ask. It's a good question. How can your conscience be repaired if you are no longer sensitive to it? And I thought the first spot that we need to come to is an understanding of what the conscience is. When we think of a a helper, an inner monologue that speaks to us and, and, and hopefully promotes godliness in our life, what do we think of? Maybe conscience, but what's the other one? Holy Spirit, that's right. So I think they have tried bonus points right up here. Uh, so the first step, I think, is coming to an understanding of what is the Holy Spirit and what is the conscience? Are these the same thing or are these something different? And again, because I'm a BCM director, I'm allowed to do this. I want to hear what you guys have to think. So holler out to me. Is the Holy Spirit and the conscience the same thing? Are they hand in hand? Or are they, in fact, something different? I heard different. Different. Okay, good, good. You want to flesh it out with us or, or, or just stick with different? <laughs> like this was a quick answer. Different. <laughs> That's right. I like that. I like that. Okay, good. Anyone else? Anyone else? Help me out. Sure, yeah. Holy Spirit can help guide the conscience. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay, okay. Now that's probably an answer that most people think. Um, so saying that it, maybe the conscience is uh, just a different name for the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, okay. What about anybody else? Anybody else? What do y'all think? Everybody's conscience is... Don't think, don't think, oh, don't think. Okay, okay. Well, that's true, that's true. That's right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. All right, what about anybody else? Uh-oh, we got it, we got it. Repeat clarification. So does the conscience hold a conviction? It's a good, good question. All right, what do you guys think? Y'all are preaching the message for me. What do y'all think? <laughs> Holy Spirit, yeah, yeah. Remember, there's, there's no such thing, if you're bold enough to make an answer, there's no such thing as a bad answer. My mother told me when I was young, she said, probably when you're in the company of people who are smarter and you don't speak. Because of that sweet lady, I was mute until I was 15. So, And I only spoke then because her parole officer said I shouldn't listen to her. Um, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If y'all meet my mother, she'll, she would hate that I make that joke. Uh, there's no such thing as a wrong answer. So what do y'all think? Does the, the Holy Spirit give you conviction? Does the conscience give you conviction? Okay. Okay, okay. 
hanging around. I like that. <laughs> just chilling. He's chilling up here. I like that. Okay. All right, so listen, as you, as you may imagine, this topic is, is one that, that has a lot of discussion. And for instance, well, you know, in sympathy with what my college student was asking, I don't know that there's a lot of clarification uh, made on what the Holy Spirit's parameters are and what the, what the conscience parameters are. Um, and so in respect to the question, we're going to try to stick close to it. But I thought at the beginning we should nonetheless try to touch on this a little bit to give you a framework by which then you'll hopefully view the rest of the answer. Um, so, so first thing I did was I wanted to look up what, what the old dictionary said about conscience. So I looked up Merriam-Webster, um, and it says, it is the sense or consciousness of the moral goodness or blameworthiness of one's own conduct, intentions, or character, together with a feeling of obligation to do right or good. That's what Merriam-Webster said, and we know whatever Merriam-Webster says has got to be good stuff, Right? Conscience. Thomas Aquinas said, Conscience is the God-given inner voice that either accuses or excuses us in terms of what we do. Oof. John Calvin said, he said, uh, Conscience is the, quote-unquote, divine sense that God puts into every person. And part of that divine sense is, of course, conscience. Now, I submit to you that conscience is different than the Holy Spirit. For instance, there's a lot of people who do not believe in God, unfortunately. There's a lot of people who do not call upon the Lord Jesus. But thankfully, God has imprinted within their DNA still this this divine sense that there is a right and a wrong. It's the reason we're not terrified when we walk outside to see someone roaming the streets in packs trying to kill us and take everything we own. Uh, Everyone is gifted with a conscience. That being said, I've never been to Pittsburgh, so it could be different there. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Or Arkansas. No, 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 I'm kidding. Arkansas is good people. Arkansas is good people. Arkansas is good people. <laughs> Holy Spirit, of course, is a little bit different than the conscience. Holy Spirit's the third in the Trinity, one God into three different persons. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, we see Jesus kind of delineating that in, in Matthew 28, 19, in which he, he commands us to teach everything uh, and, and in obedience to all three of those, the importance of all three of those. John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything that I have said, is what Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as. John John 16, 7. This one's huge for me. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now think on that for just a second. The Holy Spirit is so important that Jesus said it's good that I'm leaving, that he can come. That blows my mind. I would think Jesus in the flesh standing in front of me right now would be the greatest thing in the world. I would pester him with a list of a thousand questions. I hate to say it, but I would annoy our Lord and Savior if he was standing here in front of me. I mean, it would just be exciting. I would never leave him alone. I would be like a kid, when you know, like my little kids, when I walk around somewhere and they want something, I would just hold on to his robe as he talked. Now, I would assume he still has a robe on and sandals. Uh, I, would, I would just be there with him constantly because I'd want to soak in everything he has to say. But Jesus said, it's good that I'm leaving so that the Holy Spirit can come. That's how important, how vital the Holy Spirit is to us. And it's different 
than a conscience. Since this person specifically asked this question, asked, can your conscience be repaired, we're going to kind of look at this. So the second question I have for you, and y'all help me out. This one maybe, maybe not as, um, as much debate, um, is can your, how is your conscience formed, and then is it changeable as you get older? How is your conscience formed? We're not born, you know, my babies did not come out knowing right from wrong, <laughs> and not to hit their brother and sisters. Experiences, sure, yeah, factors around you. Culture you grow up in, that's a huge one. That's right. That's right, good, yeah, absolutely. Anybody else, or did that get everything? They hit some good stuff over here. Certainly we're taught as we're raised. Culture is a huge part of it. When I went to, um, when I graduated college and I spent a couple of years in Asia working with the Southern Baptist Mission Board, International Mission Board, um, I, I remember when I got there, my wife told me not to tell this story because she said it would turn you all against me, but we're going we're to try it anyways. When I got there, my first couple months, I went to this meal and it was a big banquet meal. They had a whole bunch of foreign students and it was, it was, I was one of them. Um, and, and they serve, whenever there's banquet meal, this particular culture serves exotic foods. I don't know why they do it. I wish they'd just serve good stuff, but they serve exotic foods. And I remember this one came around. It looked like a little piece of meat. And so I asked the person beside me, a Chinese student, I said, what, what is that? And he didn't speak very good English. So he goes, oh, I don't know. Shall go is what he said, answering in Mandarin. Um, and I didn't know what that meant. So I grabbed it and took a bite. And I thought, okay, that's roast beef. Um, and as it went back around, the, the other guy on the other side said, you like that? And I said, I, I don't know. He, uh, it, it seems okay. He said, well, you, you know what it is? I said, it's shall go, I repeated. He goes, you know that means small dog, right? <laughs> I did not know that. No, I did not. I wish he'd have said small dog instead of shall go. Uh, but again, it, in his culture, eating that was not bad at all. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just something you do. In fact, they did it in the winter. You eat it cold in the winter because it was supposed to heat you up and all this other stuff. But to his culture, there was nothing wrong with that. If I were to bring you to my house today and serve you small dog, I don't know if you'd invite me back. <laughs> because culturally, that wouldn't be acceptable. Then also we heard that, that the Holy Spirit works with our conscience to help our conscience, to refine our conscience. I like the idea that John Calvin said of divine sense. I like the idea that God gave an imprint on people to choose morally right or wrong, an inner sense, a divine sense from him that gives people a leg up on the race of choosing right and wrong. That when it's, when it's assisted by that great counsel that Jesus promised, it can accomplish great things. That in and of itself, it is a touch of God's blessing so that people can choose right even if they don't know who Jesus is. Although certainly with the Holy Spirit, it helps. I think when Jesus talks about, and, and again, you have to forgive me, you're getting some of Conan's, Conan's guesswork. We always want to point back to Scripture, but you're getting some of Conan's guesswork here. When Jesus talks about the sins of the Father visited on the Son, I think this is what we talked about when we talked about how in a young age our conscience is established by what we're taught by our mothers and fathers. If you grew up with a father or a mother who leaned heavily into alcoholism and then, and then spoke or dealt abuse to the one they love, you've got a significant obstacle to overcome in your, your childhood and your adulthood. My uncle, who married into the family, he grew up watching his dad beat his mother and, and drink himself into an early grave. Somehow, praise God, 
God got a hold of him as a teenager and he said, I'm not going to do that. I think our conscience can be damaged by what we do with our children, by the examples that we set for the people around us. So what happens if that conscience is damaged? And, and, and is it malleable was the second question. Yes, I think it can be. In fact, Scripture shows that in 1 Corinthians 8.10 talks about folks having a weak conscience and needing to learn more so that their conscience becomes more firm. In Acts 10, we have Peter having a vision in which, much like I just joked around with dogs, he saw things that he was not supposed to eat according to his conscience. And the Holy Spirit, God spoke to him and said, eat it. That's no longer off limits. What I have made, who are you to call bad? His conscience was provoked, was challenged in that vision. Let's look real quick at Scripture. Let's look at Romans 1. This is the one we're going to spend a little bit of time chewing on. I think this gives us a good, good answer to whether or not our conscience can be repaired. Look with me at Romans 1. We're going to start down in 28. We're going to read to 32. And this is one of Paul's lists. So bear with me. We're going to read one of Paul's lists here. Um, But it starts in 28. If you're looking for Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all act Roman. It's the easy way to remember it. Uh, Romans 1, 28 starts with, and it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Oof, all right. So my main takeaway, right at the very beginning of this particular passage, is that we can, in fact, reach a stage in which God gives us over to a depraved mind. And that's alarming. That's scary. That's not where we want to be. God can give us over to a depraved mind. But we see this throughout Scripture. In fact, 1 Timothy 1.19 says you can reject your conscience that divine sense that God gifted you. 1 Timothy 4, 2 says that some people who reject the truth can have their conscience seared as with a hot iron. How about that imagery? We reject the truth, which is God, which is his word, which is his, 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 his hope for our life. When we reject that, we can actually sear our conscience. Titus 1, 15 says that our conscience can be corrupted by the decisions we make. We have got to be careful. And the question that 18 to 21-year-old asks is relevant for us today is how do we then repair our conscience if we know that it can be damaged? If we know that the decisions we make can lead it astray, can cause it to be reduced, can sear it as with a hot iron? Well, I think it's dependent upon three different things. The first thing we read there in 28, it says, uh, what, what, what did 28 start with? Y'all help me out. They did not see fit to what? What was it? Retain? Maybe that's not quite what I'm looking for. Acknowledge God. There we go. There we go. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. What does that mean? What does that mean? 
you're living your life dedicated to God. When people look at you, do they see the hand of God? The choices you make, does it acknowledge God? When you're presented with two options, one that is better than the other, does the choice that you make in that situation show that you have an appreciation for who God is and what God desires of you? Are you walking the part? Are you just talking the part? Are you acknowledging God in everything that you do? The hopes you have for the future, the plans you make for next week, do those things acknowledge God? If we do so, then we're showing correct lordship in our life. God is, is, is supreme over everything I do, even my day in and day out. The way you live does or does not show this. Those of you who are married, what if the person you were married to, the person you swore you vowed to spend the rest of your life with, what if on a day in and day out basis you refused to speak to that person? What if you spent more time with your friends or with other people? What if you barely acknowledged that person in conversation with your friends? What if you barely acknowledged that person as having any say in the decisions that you make? How would you describe your marriage? Ooh, that shouldn't be hard, guys. I want, all the men should have answered this immediately. How would you describe that marriage? There will be no marriage. Amen. Thank you. Finally. Yes, absolutely. Are you kidding me? I can't decide what fast food to eat tomorrow without talking to my wife about this, right? Because I acknowledge her role in my life. I acknowledge the importance of her in my life. Can we say the same thing about God? Do we acknowledge God in our life? Seek him, obey him, and cherish him. If we want to recover our conscience or if our conscience has been damaged for some reason or another, first step is acknowledge who God is and show that in the decisions that you make. What's the second thing? It's on down. It gives us that huge list. And then in 32 it says, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do the same. They not only do the same. I think the second thing we need to look out for is behaving in a way that we know we shouldn't. Doing the things that God tells us not to. And did y'all catch that also in the beginning of 32? It's not just enough to know what God wants you to do. That doesn't help. Only so far as it illuminates the decisions that you make. Coming to church a set amount of time... Sundays, Sunday night, Wednesdays, check, is not like a balancing scale that then allows you to go behave any way you want. Knowing what God would have you to do is not enough. It's then choosing to follow those knowledge, choosing to follow those precepts. It's not doing the things that we're not supposed to. Obedience matters. And so many of our students, especially, I see it on a college campus, get caught up in this idea of comparison. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, I'm not as bad as this person. They're shooting for that, that, that perfect range in college of, of the C scale, right? I can still get a diploma as long as I make a C. Well, I know you know what I'm talking about, right? That's, that's what the students are shooting for. A or B. If you want a 4.0, great, but a 3.9 doesn't matter. You might as well just make a C. Uh, they're shooting for that C range in their behavior, right? Well, as long as I'm average, I think I'm going to be good. I don't think God wants us to settle for such mediocrity. I think God empowers us and enables us through the Holy Spirit in our conscience to aim much higher. Not to say we're going to be perfect. 
If you think you can live a sinless life, you're talking about after death. Not to say we're going to be perfect, but that when we, even when we make mistakes, we steer back towards God. Our desire is walking in correction with him. What's the third thing? Ooh, I'm gonna, oh, look, I'm going too long. Sorry, we're going to go fast here. What's the third thing? At the end of 32, man, it starts yapping too much. Uh, but it says, also approve of those who practice them. You condone that behavior in the people you see around them. And, and this is, again, that, that constant refrain, I hope you hear from me, in that the, I believe the church, the community of believers, were intended to impact the world around us for the better. And if we're not doing so, in fact, if we're not transforming them, but we're conforming, Romans 12, 2, if we're doing that inversely wrong, then, then we're becoming like the people around us, and we're doing exactly what this list says we shouldn't. That is how our conscience can be damaged. Are we condoning this behavior in other people, or are we standing out as a beacon of light? In fact, that idea of a beacon of light, I love it. In Philippians 2, 15 and 16, Paul's talking about us as believers. He says, in which you shine among them as stars in the sky as you hold forth the word of life. How many of y'all, and I've mentioned this verse before because I love it so much. How many of y'all have ever been out at night where there's no lights around you and you looked up? That's beautiful, isn't it? Millions, it seems like. More than you could point out. That's because everything around them is such darkness. And those lights, those stars shine forth in such pure white light. They can't help but be noticed. That's why Paul wrote that verse. He's talking about us in society. That no matter how bleak and how black things get, no matter how dark and evil things seem, we are to be a beacon of light shining out. So that when people see us, they can't help but say, there's something different about those guys. There's got to be something different about those guys. Matthew 5.16. I talked with one of you folks um, on Thursday, one of the ladies, and she was talking about how in her quiet time she had just read Psalm 51, and I had just read Psalm 51, and this got me to thinking. Psalm 51 is a famous passage. David had just made a huge mistake. Uh, he, had, he, had, he had made one of the biggest mistakes of his life, um, and, and in 51, he's praying to God coming out of that mistake. Um, and, and it says, what, created me a clean heart uh, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Now that's all great, but the last verse on that is just as important. And he says, when you do that, I will teach unrighteous people your way, and sinners will return to you. If your conscience has been damaged, my first suggestion to you is, acknowledge who God is. See how God can bless you. See the desire God has for you. Two, look at your life and what you're doing and say, what can I cut out? This is a painful process, but it is one that is necessary, like a cancer being removed from a body. What can you cut out that is blocking you from this fellowship with God? And then three, once that has happened, don't say, well, pat on the back, I've made it out of here. Turn around and see if you can bless the people around you, maybe even the same people that you were walking astray with to start with. And in these actions, I believe your conscience can be repaired and be useful again to God, can be honed into what he'd have you to do and not to do. Final little admission, and it's only because I always mention this, and I hope I will always mention this, is that we have a great tool in this in that we have that word of life. We have the words of Jesus right in front of us. If you do not have a regular reading planned every day, my first admonishment to you is find a time today to spend some time reading the words of Jesus. Even if you don't understand all of it, spend some time reading it. Martin Luther, 
Martin Luther, when he, um, when he was uh, put on trial for his 95 Thesis, um, and, and, and of course this was, this was dangerous. There was a chance that he would lose his life as a result of this. And they were fussing about these ideas he had, and they said, you've got to take them back. You can't, you can't really believe this. You've got to stop. And I love his answer. He said, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. My prayer for you folks is that your conscience will be held captive by the word of God. Now you repeat the same thing Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 15, 16, when he said, I found your word and I ate it. And it became a joy to me and a delight to my heart. For I bear your name, Lord God of armies. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that you've given us a divine sense, a conscience in us that can, that can help, uh, help us as we go about our day making decisions that give you glory. Um, God, I pray that each of us reflects on our life. God, help us to see the things that we've done that we shouldn't. Um, and God, help us through these three steps that we've seen in Romans 1, help us to come back in alignment with you. Um, God, please speak to us truth and help us, Lord. Help us people looking in at this church, Lord. They say, wow, this is God-glorifying people. Um, God, I pray also real quick for the, these folks that are bringing in a pastor here soon. Um, God, I pray that this pastor loves these folks. Um, God, I pray that this pastor has a vision for reaching this community that these folks get on board with. God, I pray that the pastor helps stir these folks on to love and good deeds. Um, God, that, that they can't just take a moral high road and say they're better than everyone, but that, God, just like David prayed in Psalm 51, God, that people who don't know you and are lost in their sins can have a chance. That your word can be proclaimed and that people will change their life, not because of what their conscience says, but because of the Holy Spirit says to them. God, we want to see your hand at work. And Lord, we love you and we know you mean what's best for us. We ask things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about Bayou Vista, including contact info, go to the website www.bv bch.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.